how the age-old scheme of lie, silence, and control dominates our age. That is a topic we'll discuss today right here on the Christian Worldview radio program, where the mission is to sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm David Wheaton, the host. The Christian Worldview is a nonprofit radio ministry funded by listeners like you and also our national sponsor, Samaritan Ministries, who provide a biblical and, frankly, far better alternative to mainstream health insurance. You can connect with us by calling our toll-free number, one 646 or by visiting thechristianworldview.org. If you take any of the headline events of our day, COVID-19, accusations of systemic racism, the January 6, 2021 Capitol breach, and the homosexual transgender movement, just to name a few, you will see a recurring pattern. Disinformation, or lies, are propagated by those with power and influence. That could be the government, media, otherwise. Those who dare speak the dissenting truth are silenced, and those with power and influence gain, well, more of both. This is an age-old scheme. Consider what took place after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Matthew writes in his gospel, in Matthew chapter 28, when they, the religious rulers, had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say, His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Now, who would believe such an obviously specious claim? Well, it turns out lots of people, which is really the most tragic part. Souls are led away from the truth, not just on the issues of our day, but on belief in the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. So today in the Christian worldview, we're going to examine how this age-old scheme is used today and what Christians should do in response. So over Crucifixion Friday and Resurrection Sunday, I, like probably many of you, read the account of the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. And I noticed how the reaction to the truth about Christ's resurrection was handled then, and I saw how there's a similar pattern going on today. And there's really three points to it. First, a lie is established and then disseminated. Number two, the truthful account or the truthful narrative is silenced by any and all means. And number three, the false worldview and the power structure must be maintained to keep people from believing the truth. So there's the the three-step process. A lie is established and disseminated. The truth is silenced and a false worldview and positions of power are maintained. So let's look at that passage uh, about Christ's resurrection. I'm going to start in John 19, verse 38, where it says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away Christ's body. Nicodemus, who had first come to Christ by night, you remember that from John chapter 3, where Christ told him you must be born again, he also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. 
So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Verse 42, Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby where he was crucified, they laid Jesus there. Now, just a couple things from this first paragraph. Here you have two members of the religious ruling class, the Sanhedrin, Joseph and Nicodemus. This was the the power structure, the religious rulers of the day. And they were really, the Sanhedrin was really most responsible for the death of Jesus. They're the ones that were pushing Pilate to have Jesus crucified. Both these men, Joseph and Nicodemus, had become or would become believers in Christ. And as this passage mentions, there was a huge peer pressure to reject Jesus as the Messiah. You'd lose your position on the the ruling body, the Sanhedrin. Your family, no doubt, would be shamed. Maybe even your own personal safety would be at risk if you were to affirm that Jesus was the Christ. So here they come, both of these men, on Friday late afternoon to bury Christ, because they knew, they had been convicted that this man was not just some crazy person claiming to be the Messiah, but that he was who he claimed to be, the Son of God and Savior of mankind and the Messiah for the Jewish people. And they were witnesses. They were actually the first witnesses that Christ's body was put into the tomb. After all, they were the ones who did it. Now, skipping to another gospel in Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 62, the narrative continues. Now, on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was alive, that deceiver, referring to Christ, said, After three days, I am to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. In verse 65, Matthew 27, Pilate responds and says to them, You have a guard. Go, make it as secure as you know how. And they, the religious rulers, went and made the grave secure, and along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. So here you have the religious leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, the chief priests, scribes, these people who are the religious leaders of Israel. They won't believe. Despite who Jesus said he was, the Son of God, the Messiah, despite the fact that what he actually did, the miracles he did right in front of them, they would not believe. But they're anticipating what could go wrong if Christ's disciples steal his body away. So they develop a backup plan before he even rises from the dead in case the body goes missing. Now, I looked this up in in a commentary, the Blue Letter Bible commentary, and they said this was either the Roman guard or the Jewish temple police. There is a question as to which one of the two groups was watching over it. The context seems to favor the Roman guard. Now, if it was a Roman guard, this would have been a 16-man unit that was governed by very strict rules. Each member was responsible for six square feet of space. The guard members could not sit down or lean against anything while they were on duty. If a guard member fell asleep, he was beaten and burned with his own clothes. 
but he was not the only one executed. The entire 16-man guard unit was executed if only one of the members fell asleep while on duty. So consider who this guard actually was. This wasn't someone from just like Andy Griffith's show, one person standing there guarding the tomb. Now that was Matthew 27. Let's turn the page to go to Matthew 28. Just a little more context in our topic today. It continues on, Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. It would be Sunday. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. Verse 4, the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Verse 5, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. Verse 7, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Verse 8, and they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Now here's the truth. This is what actually happened regarding Christ rising from the grave. Earthquake occurred. Angels came, rolled away the stone. The guards were so afraid, they went unconscious. In other words, the truth is, Jesus rose from the dead. Verse 11, now while they were on their way, some of the guard, so some of those who had been frightened into basically unconsciousness, came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, here comes the lie, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, you are to say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, Pilate's, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story, this lie, this disinformation was widely spread among the Jews as is to this day. So here you see this threefold repetition of what takes place. First of all, a lie is established and disseminated. The guards report to the religious rulers what happened. They are eyewitnesses to what happened, at least to a certain extent, before they went unconscious. The response by the chief priests and the leaders should have been, well, wait a second here. Let's investigate this. What's the truth? I mean, what happened here? And if this truly is what happened, this truly must be the Son of God, and therefore we must believe in him. Well, that's not what their response was. It was willful unbelief despite the facts right in front of them. I mean, don't bother me with the facts. They consulted together to establish and then disseminate a lie. They paid off the soldiers. They created what's called fake news, right? The disciples had stolen the body. 
And of course, this is a ridiculous, non-believable lie. All the soldiers were sleeping when this all happened, really? And if they were sleeping, how would sleeping soldiers actually know the disciples stole him? It's just a ridiculous, non-believable lie. And of course, just not too long after this, over 500 people at one time would see the risen Christ, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So the, the evidence for the resurrection is overwhelming. It doesn't take very large step of faith to actually believe it took place. So why was there just outright rejection of this by the religious elite of the day? Well, because they had a false worldview, a false religion, and they were in positions of power, and that's, this is the third point, that must be maintained at all times to keep people from believing the truth. Now, they didn't want to look bad, of course, if they had murdered the, 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 the hope for Messiah. They didn't want to lose power and influence. So they loved power more than they loved truth. They loved evil more than they loved good. And so the truth would have to be silenced. In fact, the entire book of Acts is about how the religious rulers and others were constantly trying to silence what the apostles were saying about Jesus Christ ultimately leading to 11 of the 12 apostles being martyred, losing their lives. But of course, that never stops the propagation of the gospel message. It always continues despite persecution. That's what non-believers never get. They think that you can end the lives of those who are Christians and it's going to go away. It not only never works, but the faith only expands ever more. And it's interesting, the end of that passage said, this story was widely spread among the Jews as is to this day. So it's just repeated and believed. And the bottom line is people get led away from the truth about Christ. And that is the worst part of all. And so I'll just give you an example, a modern day example of this. I just went to YouTube and typed in the search field something about the fact that Christ didn't rise from the dead. And of course, all sorts of videos come up. And here's an example of someone named Richard Carrier trying to make his case that Christ didn't rise from the dead. When, we, when evidence is very vague, all we can really rely on is what actually happens most often in similar circumstances. The anthropology of religion and psychology establishes that. In contrast, I'm pretty sure a real Jesus resurrected by God who actually cared about us would appear to everyone on earth. I made that point. Even in every generation, he wouldn't appear to just one tiny group in one tiny place 2,000 years ago, but that a group of regular hallucinators, raised in a culture seeped with teachings of resurrected savior gods, believing the world was soon to end, and seeking any way to make the facts fit their belief, finding a message in their holy scriptures about their executed savior being resurrected and becoming God, that such a group would then hallucinate the resurrection of their executed leader as a confirmation confirmation of the coming end of the world and the coming resurrection. All of that is perfectly natural. And like many other strange religions, it requires no other explanation. Okay, so you get the point. That's some guy on the internet who's trying to say that Christ didn't rise from the dead, saying it was some mass hallucination. Of course, that's ridiculous as well. There was many witnesses, multiple witnesses of the empty tomb, so at least we know Christ's body wasn't in there, both of believers and non-believers. And also, even better evidence is that there were many witnesses of the physical resurrection of Christ. There was the women, the apostles, over 500 disciples, as I mentioned. This is overwhelming proof that would go beyond any reasonable doubt in any court of law that Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. And that's super significant. Not only did he die and pay the required price for the sins of mankind, for all those who would believe, 
but his resurrection proved that God had was satisfied by Christ's sacrifice of himself and that his justice and anger had been satisfied over our sins. That's critically important, the resurrection. That's why there's always an attack on the resurrection. We don't serve a, a dead Savior. We serve a risen Savior, and he's with God at his right hand today, and he's going to come back again. This is the central tenet of the Christian faith. And if this isn't true, like it says in 1 Corinthians 15, we are most to be pitied for believing and propagating a lie. It would be just like believing in fairy tales. What a delusion, what a waste of time. But of course, that is not the case when it comes to the factual resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, just a brief pause. I'm David Wheaton. You are listening to the Christian Worldview radio program. You can support this radio ministry by calling one 646 2233 visiting org, or writing to Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331. Pastor James Coates was arrested and sent to prison a couple of weeks ago in Canada. What did he do? He held a church service. And it isn't the government's responsibility to protect us from a virus. What's their responsibility to protect our God-given rights? Two days after that sermon, Pastor James Coates was arrested and imprisoned. He has now co-authored an important book titled God Versus Government, Taking a Biblical Stand When Christ and Compliance Collide. God Versus Government is 208 pages, soft cover, and retails for $17.99. You can order a copy for a donation of any amount to The Christian Worldview. Go to thechristianworldview.org or call 1-888-646-2233 or write to Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331. That's 1-888-646-2233 or org. David Wheaton here, host of the Christian Worldview radio program. Listeners are often surprised to learn that we as a ministry pay to broadcast on the radio station, website, or app on which you are listening today. That expense is recouped through listeners like you making a donation or becoming a Christian Worldview partner. Our aim is to have each broadcast outlet fully supported by the listeners of that outlet. If you would like to help us in our mission to sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ— Go to thechristianworldview.org and click on Donate. You can also call toll-free 1-888-646-2233 or write to Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331. Specify how you listen, as that helps us decide whether to continue on a given outlet. And be sure to select one of our resources as a thank you for your support. And welcome back to The Christian Realview. I'm David Wheaton. Visit our website, thechristianrealview.org, where you can subscribe to our free weekly email and annual print letter. You can order resources for adults and children and support the ministry. Now back to our topic of the day, how the age-old scheme of lie, silence, and control dominates our age. So again, here's how it works. A lie is established and disseminated. That's what the religious leaders did. The the disciples stole him. Number two, the truth is silenced by any and all means. Back then, they would just hunt down and arrest and even martyr anyone who would proclaim the truth. And number three, the reason they did it is because they had a false worldview, and their power had to be maintained. 
to keep people from believing the truth. They're, they're agents of Satan trying to, to blind people from coming to the truth. And this age-old pattern, if you haven't noticed, has become all too common today in our country. And I just wrote down a, a few different examples of this. COVID-19, the death of George Floyd by the police officer here in Minneapolis, the January 6th protest at the Capitol, and of course the homosexual transgender movement as well. Those four examples, I think, are so clear as to how this age-old scheme takes place today. I mean, just consider COVID-19. This virus comes from China. The government, those in authority, recognize this is a perfect means to, to consolidate government authority, to get more of it, to move towards globalism, maybe even depopulation. Instead of just protecting those who are vulnerable to this virus, the old or those who have underlying conditions, all these different things are enacted. Social distancing, remain six feet apart. Uh, lockdowns of businesses and, and churches and so forth. Wear masks, even cloth masks and vaccine mandates. All of this is instituted. And then secondly, the truth is silence. Social distancing and lockdowns are, are harmful to the social needs of people and to the economy, of course, to the church as well. Masks don't work. The basic cloth mask doesn't do anything for the transmission of this virus. We found out the vaccines are basically highly ineffective and actually harmful. People get adverse events from these vaccines, even death. The early treatment protocols, like ivermectin, totally suppressed, shamed, you know, horse dewormer, right? Only a small percentage of the population knew about ivermectin or these nutraceuticals that could help people from getting COVID or help them overcome it when they did get it. It was just, if you get it, just hope you don't get too sick. And if you do get sick, go to the hospital and get remdesivir or get on a ventilator, both of which could lead to your death as well. Meanwhile, the truth is silenced on social media. Accounts are canceled. Dissenters shamed. The same pattern takes place. And you get to the third point. The result of this is that the false worldview and power gained keep people from believing and knowing the truth. I mean, think how many lives were lost or were harmed because the truth wasn't allowed to be known. The lie, the silencing of truth, and the false worldview and power maintained. Take the example of George Floyd. The death of George Floyd right here by the Minneapolis police officer, Derek Chauvin. What happened was that George Floyd had gone into a store and passed a fake $20 bill. He, they were, police were called. He resisted arrest for quite a while. Then he died shortly after being apprehended by police and with him face down on the pavement with the police's knee on the back of his neck for about eight or nine minutes. Now, was it drugs in his system that actually led to his demise? Was it a health condition or was it the knee in the neck? I mean, I think it's very hard to be conclusive of that, but that's actually what happened. So the lie immediately started to get out there that this was an innocent victim of racist police brutality. It proves that we're systemically racist. We need to defund the police. We need to institute critical race theories in every element of society to overcome the injustice that this country is founded and built upon. There was nothing told, very rarely told, about the violent criminal history of George Floyd or the fact that he had resisted arrest leading up to this. Nothing in the trial, by the way, about any racist motive that the police officer had against this black man. And the dissenters to this, if you bring up an alternate 
reality to people. Oh, well, you're just a racist for bringing it up. You have white fragility. And then going to point three again, the same pattern, the false worldview and power gained to keep people from believing the truth. It's all meant to weaken Christian America by asserting systemic racism. The country has become more divided. The curriculum in schools has been altered. There was a summer of riots. There's violence in our big cities now. And the overall motivation to consolidate government power by letting society break down has been achieved. The same threefold repetition. Let's discuss one more incident with the example of what took place on January 6th, 2021, with the protest uh, that turned into a Capitol building trespass and riot. Uh, Not an insurrection. Insurrection is taking over of government that did not take place. It was trespassing and kind of a semi-riot at the Capitol, violent disturbance of peace by a crowd. That's the actual definition of a riot. So what happened? Well, there was a non-armed trespass of the Capitol. Hundreds of thousands of people had gathered in Washington, D.C. to protest that the presidential election of 2020 was fraudulent. And this was the day, January 6th, that Congress was going to certify the election. And all these people came to Washington, D.C. to for a, quote, stop the steal rally in favor of Donald Trump, totally in their rights to do so. You remember back to the 2020 election that Joe Biden purportedly received the most votes in the history of this country, 81 million. And people saw that and thought, there's no way. He hardly even campaigned. He'd been a career politician. He's not an inspiring person. There's no way he could have gotten 81 million votes the most in history. The voting rules have been changed in this presidential election due to COVID-19. You've got to keep people away from the polls and voting on election day so they allow people to vote early, to mail-in ballots. And, of course, this is just ripe for fraud. There was all sorts of discrepancies, which I won't get into now. We covered this last year on the program. And then it would be taken to the courts, and the judges wouldn't even address the challenges. So the first step in this age-old scheme is comes the lie. It was called the most fair election in history. The second point of the scheme is that the truth was silenced. If you didn't believe in the election that it was free and fair, you were an election denier. If you do a Google search for evidence of 2020 election fraud, you'll just get pages and pages full of left-wing sources about how it was all a lie, that the, the election was not fair, and it's all conspiracy theory. Go to the third point. Again, why is this the the case? Because you have to maintain this false worldview and this power to keep people from knowing and believing the truth. You can't have a nationalist like Donald Trump back in power. That's going to threaten the push for globalism. So what happened that particular day? Because I've been meaning to get to this topic for a while, so I want to spend a little extra time in case you haven't heard about what took place on that day, January 6, 2021. So as Donald Trump was speaking that day, people were already breaking through the barriers that were set up as a perimeter to the Capitol building where the Congress was meeting to certify the election. And the perimeter that was set up around the Capitol building was set outside where the general public was normally able to go. So it wasn't just a perimeter right at the entrance to the building. It was set out on the grounds further out. So understandably, once 
that perimeter, once some of the barricades have been removed or the fences removed, people who didn't see those barricades removed wouldn't have any idea that they weren't allowed to go further onto the grounds toward the Capitol building. From that point, hundreds of people went into the Capitol building. Some walked right in through open doors. Some broke windows or violently entered. And when they got into the Capitol building, they generally walked around, protested, went into rooms, took pictures of themselves, pushing back and forth with the security that was resisting. And it's notable that no guns were recovered from this so-called insurrection. I mean, what kind of an insurrection is that? The Capitol building was not held hostage for political demands. No members of Congress were kidnapped or hurt. In fact, no one died uh, in this so-called riot except for one person. That's when a Capitol police officer shot a protester, a woman who had come in who was unarmed, without even his life being threatened. And that officer was completely exonerated for doing so. Now, following this, the Justice Department conducted the largest manhunt in U.S. history to track down every single person who had trespassed on the Capitol grounds. Hundreds of people were arrested and held in jail, even to this day, some in solitary confinement awaiting trial. Think about that. We are now a year and, what, four months beyond that particular incident, and people are still in jail awaiting trials. This is America? Again, this was trespassing, or maybe you could call it egregious, violent trespassing for those who broke through windows and so forth, or rioting at most. People don't get held in jail for over a year in solitary confinement for rioting unless someone is murdered. Now, I say this fully acknowledging that those who break the law should face reasonable consequence before the justice system for trespassing into the Capitol. But the biggest element of this is something that I don't think very many people know about. The question is twofold. How did people get in so easily to the Capitol building? Why did the police sort of stand back, some of them at least, and allow people to come in? And who were the insiders of this, and why were not they arrested? I mean, the Capitol building has to be defended at all costs, right? This is one of our most prominent national landmarks in this country. So the conclusion is, well, either the police force is woefully pathetic, or they wanted people to get in, or someone told them to let people in because it would be harmful to the movement, to the Trump movement of those who actually went inside the Capitol. Now, I had read an article, a long column, which we have linked on the ChristianWorldview.org that I would highly encourage you to read. It's from the website Revolver.News, and they did a whole expose of this. I'm not going to have time to get into very much of it, but I want to just read a paragraph and play a couple sound bites from this reporting they did because it is truly incredible. The column starts out by saying, out of all of the thousands of January 6th protesters and the thousands of hours of publicly available footage from that fateful day, a man named Ray Epps, E-P-P-S, has turned out to be perhaps the only person nailed dead to rights, confessing on camera to plotting a pre-planned attack on the Capitol. On both January 5th and on January 6th, Epps announced multiple times, at multiple locations, his upcoming plot to breach the U.S. Capitol. He then spent hours attempting to recruit 
hundreds of others to join him. On top of it all, Epps was seen leading key people and managing key aspects of the initial breach of the Capitol grounds himself. That's from the opening paragraph to the Revolver.News article. And so this Ray Epps was this big guy. He was wearing this red Trump hat, camouflage type shirt and a backpack. If you look at the videos from that day, he was everywhere inciting people to breach the Capitol. And he wasn't the only one. There were several other people involved. I'm going to play a soundbite from one coming up. One was called, they don't know his name, he's called the Scaffold Commander, a guy that was standing up on the top of the scaffold right in front of the Capitol. And that begs the question, who was this guy? How did he get up there with a bullhorn urging people to breach the Capitol? So just listen to this audio of both these characters inciting the protesters to breach the Capitol, and yet neither of them has been held accountable. The only conclusion is that they were federal agents trying to entrap people. Tomorrow, we need to go into the Capitol. Into the Capitol. No! No! Peacefully! Fed! 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 Tomorrow, I don't even like to say it because I'll be arrested. Well, let's not say it. We need, we need to say go. It. I'll say it. All right. We need to go into the Capitol. We are going to the Capitol where our problems are. It's that direction. Please spread the word. That was Ray Epps. Now, here's the scaffold commander shouting through a bullhorn, urging people to go into the Capitol. There is so much more to this, and this is why we encourage you to read this Revolver article on our website, thechristianworldview.org. But these videos are just incredible. The incitement to what was taking place, and that neither of them have been arrested. And so basically, the videos just show that people and Ray Epps just pushed over these three-foot-high metal barricades, and they just started running toward the Capitol building. And interestingly, Ray Epps was on the most wanted list— by the U.S. government, but then all of a sudden he magically disappeared from that list, despite the fact that the federal government knows where he lives, in Arizona, I believe it is, and he walks free today after being on video time and time again encouraging people to go into the Capitol. So notice the three-step scheme again. You tell the lie. It was a planned insurrection, one of the greatest events in American history up there with 9-11 in Pearl Harbor. It was a government takeover event by white nationalists. Number two, the truth is silenced. Anyone who suggests that this was anything other than just Trump supporters breaching the Capitol and that federal agents were involved in inciting this is just a conspiracy theorist. Anti-democracy. You're a fascist. You're a racist. You're a truth denier. You're an election denier. This was an insurrection. And then number three, the result would be that the false worldview and the consolidation of power would be gained and maintained to keep people from knowing and believing the truth. 
the government and those in authority would be able to permanently marginalize and punish conservatives. It would gain power. It would discredit and destroy all political opposition to their socialist agenda to transform America. Okay, just a brief pause. More coming up on this topic, how the age-old scheme of lie, silence, and control dominates our age. Would you like to help the Christian Realview continue broadcasting on the radio station, website, or app in which you are listening today? Become a Christian Realview partner by calling one 646 2233 visiting org, or writing to Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331. When it comes to your health care, what are some words you would use to describe your experience with them? Comfort? Peace? Confidence? Well, at Samaritan Ministries, those are just some of the words our members use frequently when a health care need arises, like these friends. In 2016, we found out that our youngest son, Asher, had cancer. I will just never forget crying in the lobby of the hospital on the phone with the Samaritan Ministries person on the other end who ended the call saying, let's just pray about this. When it does hit you and you really wonder what's going to happen, it worked. Interested in becoming part of a growing, caring community of Christians who not only faithfully share each other's medical needs each month, but also support each other with prayer and encouragement? It's affordable, and you can join today. If you'd like more information, visit us at SamaritanMinistries.org slash TCW. That's SamaritanMinistries.org slash TCW. What happened to the church? How do you break down American Christianity? Whiteness has caused blindness of heart. That message that they're going out and taking the world is not. You need to repent of your sin receive Christ. Instead, the message that you actually have is they are under the weight of racism or sexism or homophobia. The proceeding is from Enemies Within the Church, a two-hour documentary film that exposes how social justice ideology is infecting the church. You can order the DVD for a donation of any amount to The Christian Realview. Go to thechristianrealview.org or call one 646 2233 or write to Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331. That's one 646 2233 or thechristianrealview.org. Thanks for joining us today on The Christian Real View. I'm David Wheaton. Just a reminder that today's program and past programs are archived at our website, thechristianrealview.org. Transcripts are also available. Now back to the topic of the day, how the age-old scheme of lie, silence, and control dominates our age. Now corollary to this is the fact that the silencing of free speech, the, the second part of the scheme here is happening all the time now. If you write something on your Twitter feed like men are men and men can't become women, well, it'd only be a matter of time before Twitter suspends or deletes your account. And there's no greater example than that the president of the United States, Donald Trump, had his Twitter account permanently deleted. He had 88 million followers. And I went to the Twitter explanation for what happened, what went into this decision. And here's what they said on Friday, January 8th, 2021. This is two days after the the Capitol breach. 
They said, after a close review of recent tweets from the at real Donald Trump, that was his Twitter account name, and the context around them, specifically how they are being received and interpreted on and off Twitter, we have permanently suspended the account due to the risk of further incitement of violence. How convenient. In the context of horrific events this week, we made it clear on Wednesday that additional violations of the Twitter rules would potentially result in this very course of action. And they go on to say, actually list the tweets. Here's what the president said to get his account permanently suspended. On January 8, 2021, President Donald J. Trump tweeted, quote, The 75 million great American patriots who voted for me, America first, and make America great again, will have a giant voice long into the future. They will not be disrespected or treated unfairly in any way, shape, or form. Unquote. That was one tweet. The second tweet, shortly thereafter, Twitter writes, the president tweeted, quote, To all of those who have asked, I will not be going to the inauguration on January 20th. Unquote. Those were the two tweets that got the president taken off Twitter. Can you believe that? Incitement to violence? What? And then Twitter goes on to write, due to the ongoing tensions in the U.S. and an uptick in the global conversation in regards to the people who, quote, violently stormed the Capitol on January 6th. Again, no one was killed except for one of the protesters. These two tweets must be read in the context of broader events in the country and the ways in which the president's statements can be mobilized by different audiences, including to incite violence, as well as in the context of the pattern of behavior from this account in recent weeks. And I won't read the rest. You can go and read it for yourselves. Freedom of speech. What it used to mean is you can express your views, even if it's offensive to someone else. The accepted limit of that was that if you were inciting someone to violence, to harm someone, that's where you didn't have the freedom to do that, you know, causing someone to try to to murder someone or to shout fire in a movie theater. I can't think of any reasonable person that would think of those two tweets by the president that would incite anything to violence. But this is the insidious ploy of the left now, is to categorize anything that can be perceived as hurtful as inciting to violence, whether against a person or, a, or potentially leading that person to self-harm. So if you say something that offends someone, well, that's violence because that person might harm themselves or another person might harm them. There's been so many other examples of this that we we don't have time to get into just this past week. This Twitter account, also a TikTok account called Libs of TikTok, where this woman literally just posts videos of transgender teachers just saying the most radical things. She just reposts them. It's all she does. She doesn't make the videos. She just reposts them. The Washington Post did an investigative story trying to out her. She's been anonymous, exposing her name where she lives, reporters knocking at her relative's door, and generally trying to destroy her and silence her. This is the the second step of the scheme. There's also Elon Musk, the richest man in the world, the owner of Tesla and SpaceX and other companies. He's made a bid to buy Twitter, and the board of Twitter doesn't want to do it, even though it would be totally worth it financially because money's not the bottom line. Worldview is the bottom line, and they know if Elon Musk takes it over, he's going to reinstate Donald Trump and other people who have been canceled on Twitter, and then free speech will return, at least to that social media platform. 
rather than it being just an echo chamber of the left where people who express conservative views have their accounts shut down. See, we know how free we are as a country by what you can't say. That's how you know how much free speech you have. And there's many topics now today that if you say something dissenting against the mainstream media or mainstream governmental perspective, you're immediately silenced. As we conclude today, what can Christians do about this age-old scheme of lie, silencing the truth, in order to advance their false worldview and keep their hold on power? You know, back in the time of Christ, it was difficult to silence the truth being communicated from one person to the next, except for those who were the most outspoken about doing it. They would just kill them. They martyred, as I mentioned, 11 of the 12 apostles. Information couldn't travel very quickly back then like it can today on the Internet. So the big difference today is speech can be easily silenced and suppressed because so much communication is done over the Internet, and the powers that be are very willing to infringe on free speech. It's just truly incredible how much speech suppression is going on in this United States of America now, our country that's known for its Bill of Rights, which guarantees the freedom of speech and many other freedoms. They are very willing to infringe on the freedom of speech now to advance their worldview of of humanism, of godlessness, and of consolidating government power, of globalism. So first of all, Christians need to know the tactics of the enemy. We need to know that if someone's looking at you and speaking to you very passionately and convincingly and confidently, they can still be liars. They can be truth deniers and silencers. And Christians don't want to curtail free speech. We shouldn't want to because we are on the side of God's truth revealed in his word. We know what truth is and who will make things clear in the end. God himself allows free speech and thought until he won't in the end, until every knee will bow and every tongue confess. But until then, he allows us to believe what we choose to believe and say. So we cannot be a people who believe anything at the first sight, the first hearing, at the first reading. And really, more than being so in the know on current events and so forth, we need to be in the know on what the Bible says. That's a source of truth. We need to be involved in a a sound church where a pastor clearly and soundly exposits the Word of God. Because when you're, you're getting truth from the source of truth, Scripture, that's going to result in discernment, understanding the sinful nature of man, and where the world is going. And as much as we resent this age-old scheme of lie, truth silencing, and the advancing of false worldviews, this is what the God-rejecting do. They are dead in their trespasses and sins, Ephesians chapter 2. They are children of their father, the devil. That being said, what does Romans 5, 8 say? God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And those truth silencers out there, as frustrating and as angering as they can be, we need to realize that what it says in Second Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. These liars, these truth silencers, need to have the truth of the gospel presented to them. Most will reject it, but some might be saved, and that's our call. So let's not be distracted 
from our mission by our anger and resentment toward the those who advance lies and silent speech. But let's be faithful proclaimers of the gospel. And Pastor Alistair Begg concluded a recent broadcast where he talked about the fact that we as Christians need to pray for, need to stir up within ourselves, need to take opportunities to proclaim the truth of God's Word and the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's Alistair Begg. The message is for everyone who believes. Salvation is not given until the gospel, the message of Christ dying in the place of the sinner, is believed. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. God loves men and women so much that he will pursue them with his love in order to bring them to repentance and faith. We began by quoting Sinclair. The heart of God beats with an evangelistic rhythm. We then end with the question, does my heart pulse with an evangelistic rhythm? The work of conversion, said Richard Baxter in his day, is the first and greatest thing we must strive at. After this, we must work with all our might. This misery of the unconverted is so great that it calleth loudest for our compassion. I confess I am frequently forced to neglect that which would lead to the further increase of knowledge in the godly because of the lamentable necessity of the unconverted. Who is able to talk of controversies or of nice unnecessary points while he sees a company of ignorant, miserable sinners? before his eyes. Who is able to talk like that? Loved ones, it's not unkind to say evangelical Christianity in contemporary America is well able to talk like that. So our response should be in part. Redirect us to go back to our friends, whether they are religious people coming under the cover of darkness Or as tomorrow morning, if anybody shows up, irreligious people stuck in the noonday sun. Will you commit yourself to that? How much time do you have left on earth? Do you remember when you used to sing as a teenager? Lead me to some soul today. Teach me, God, just what to say. Friends of mine are lost in sin and cannot find their way. Or are you just concerned? Are we just concerned to make America the way we really would like it to be for our grandchildren? And we'll worry about the unconverted once we get all the important things fixed. No, I don't think so. I don't think you would be here if you felt that way. Alistair Begg said that so well. We should be informed of the darkness, know about what's taking place, this three-fold scheme that we talked about today of the lie, of the silencing of truth, of the advancement of a false worldview and the consolidation of power. That's what the wicked do. Let's know that, but let's never forget our mission, the Great Commission, to be ambassadors for Christ, to proclaim the good news of salvation to souls that are enslaved 
to sin in our fallen world. If you understand that you have sinned against God and deserve His judgment, please go to our website, thechristianworldview.org, and click on the page, What Must I Do to Be Saved? That is a universal need that each and every one of us has. For us as sinful people, how can we be made right with a holy God? The gospel answers that question. The person and work of Jesus Christ on our behalf on the cross that we remembered and celebrated at Easter is the key to being forgiven, reconciled to God, and being granted eternal life in heaven. You must receive God's offer, God's gift of His Son, by faith alone, apart from any trust in your own works. Thank you for joining us today on The Christian Worldview. Thanks also to our Christian Worldview partners and Samaritan Ministries for funding today's program. In just a moment, there will be lots of information about this nonprofit radio ministry. Let's be encouraged. We may live in a challenging world where the lie rules the day, but we know where the truth is. Jesus Christ and His Word are the same yesterday and today and forever. So until next time, think biblically, live accordingly, and stand firm. The mission of the Christian worldview is to sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We hope today's broadcast encouraged you toward that end. To hear a replay of today's program, order a transcript, or find out what must I do to be saved, go to thechristianworldview.org or call toll-free 1-888-646-2233. The Christian Worldview is a listener-supported nonprofit radio ministry furnished by the Overcomer Foundation. To make a donation, become a Christian Worldview partner, order resources, subscribe to our free newsletter, or contact us, visit thechristianworldview.org, call 1-888-646-2233, or write to Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331. That's Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331. Thanks for listening to The Christian Worldview.